Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Aussie Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ravine Smolter. I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon and Rabbi Mali Brovsky. Today, we're going to discuss a sensitive and delicate issue that's, of course, it's also very, very important to many of our listeners, to each of us. And it's in response to something that the, the trigger for this discussion is a vote that took place over the past week in the Knesset. And uh, it, over the past week, the Knesset passed, in its first reading, a bill to ban what's called reparative therapy, tipul hamara, or what's called conversion therapy, which is therapy intended on, on helping or, or forcing or coercing an individual to change their sexual identity. And it's almost always practiced um, with people who identify as homosexuals in an attempt to get them to change, to switch and to become heterosexual. And uh, the Knesset passed in this first reading this, uh, this bill to ban such practices in Israel. And I- I'm going to speak for myself right now. It's very important for me to speak to myself. What we're going to do is I'm going to raise the, the questions that I have, and then I'm going to turn to Johnny and Molly, or probably Molly and then Johnny, to, to address the questions as they come up. So uh, what happened then was, what was shared with me uh, on, on social media was the response of a Haver Knesset named Bethala Smotrich, who was a right-wing Haver Knesset, who was basically the religious response. And he got up and he started yelling at Yair Lapid, and he said, you are all in favor of liberalism and live and let live, and everybody can do what they want. But of course, except, of course, when it comes to religious values. Because here, he said, a person who is a religious individual, who asks an adult, for example, not a child, a religious individual, who asks for this type of therapy, you're come along, coming along and saying, sorry, we don't offer it to you. We're not going to allow that to happen. And, and, uh, it, and of course, the, the IRLP ignored him, and he walked out, and, and what have you. But the religious person hears Smotrich and says, it sounds like it makes sense. If a re- religious individual, I think to myself, and I, 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 I've heard from uh, Orthodox people who are homosexuals, it, it must be, I imagine, I'm, not, I'm talking to myself now, tremendously difficult to grow up in a religious environment that, that has conservative, with a small c, family values, that even if it's not anti uh, or against homosexuality per se, has expectations about the way you're going to grow up, about the family you're going to raise, about the children you're going to have. It has to be very, very difficult and very, very painful uh, to... to to have that reality live in contrast with the family values in which you grow up. And so that person would, might come along and say, listen, I want such therapy. If it were offered to me, I would choose such therapy. I want the opportunity to perhaps, if it's going to work, I'd at least try to make it work. That's my choice. Why would the government have the right to take that away from a person? Why would the government have that right? Why should that be something that I, as a religious person, should choose? So I'm going to turn first to Molly, and Molly is a, is a social worker and a therapist and does this professionally, and I think it's important to, to state that from the outset, because we're turning to her, not just in her capacity as, a, as, a, as an educator, but here in this context discussion specifically uh, as a professional who does this in a professional context. So did I, did I introduce it, the question in a, in a way that you feel you can address? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, I want to address it 
Um, I, I'm sure you've seen, and if our listeners haven't, I can I can just um, uh, mention this that Rabbi Yosef Blau, in conjunction with I don't know exactly who, but a, clearly a, a therapist, wrote a piece in the Times of Israel on this issue. And I just want to quote his last paragraph because I think he said something very important that that that's part of what you said that addresses what you said. And then I want to talk about this specific therapy and the issues that I have with it as a professional. Okay, so this is what he wrote. Whether or not legislation is the best way to respond, it is critical to educate the Orthodox community that this particular therapy is dangerous to the vulnerable youth who are told that this therapy will solve their internal conflicts. Each person must be evaluated and treated in a manner that is respectful and responsive to his and her challenges and needs. No one should suffer from a therapy that has proved to be excessively harmful. So I think that, that was framed absolutely really, really, really well meaning and that's why i liked your question because you're you're asking as a member of the orthodox community and you're saying wait why not this therapy shouldn't we be helping people in need so 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 what i'd like to do is this i'd like to explain why this particular therapy is a dangerous one Um, and then i'd like to talk a little bit about the second part of what you said which is but there are people who are suffering and these are people who are looking for answers and isn't it our role as therapists to help them Okay, so and 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 I also like what he says about whether or not this will just whether or not legislation is the best way to respond. That's where I'm going to leave that the question of legislation, right? But I do think it's very very important to educate about this particular therapy. Okay, so this therapy you said reparative therapy, conservative therapy, those are actually- okay. So Molly, I just want to clarify, right? Yes. What is it? Like okay. that's my question, Brian. What is it? Okay, good. Uh, because it seems like there's a lot of things people call it, right. and it's changed. So what okay, was exactly. it? What is right. it? Which is what I was going to okay. say. There was. Some people call it reparative, and then people who say reparative is very specific, and so we're going to call it conversion. Um, and, 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 and the truth is that it shifts w- over the years, and, it, and many, the original movements, and again, you can, all, you can look all the stuff up online, really, in, okay, let me, let me put it this way before I go through the history. The, the function of this therapy is to change people's sexual orientation, okay? That is the function of this therapy. Um, I, 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 one of the pieces that I read says that at the heart of this is a sense that, that, um, homosexuality is a pathology and therefore you should change that. I'm not even sure if people, maybe it could be that today there are rabbis who would say, I don't think that, but I really just want to make the person happy. So i but the bottom line is it's, it's purpose is to change the person's sexual orientation. Usually, perhaps always it comes with behavioral modification techniques and again this has changed over time in the past it came with there were definitely people who were um practicing it with extreme behavioral modification modification techniques that were very painful and very harmful um it's i think a lot of those have been phased out um when i heard someone describe what they were told to do and this might have been 10 years ago they were not told to do things that were extremely physically dangerous, but for example, they were told to put a rubber band around the wrist and every time they had an inappropriate thought or sec- homosexual thought in that case, to bang- to hit themselves with it, right? So that gives you like a sense of the the, the aversion therapy part that exists in it. Um, and whatever, wh- wherever it falls on the spectrum now, the studies on, there are two points. One is that the studies on this therapy, the overwhelming majority of studies on this therapy have demonstrated that it is not helpful and that it has potential to cause great harm. That is the overwhelming consensus of, um, of 
I would say the scientific psychological community. And th this is not um, I, the first time I heard this again. The first time I heard that said was 10 plus years ago in a class, in a social work class, where we were discussing homosexuality. And somebody said that. And just like the rest of you, I was like, well, maybe, you know, is that agenda? And this person who was saying this was, is def was definitely coming from a place. And then I looked into it, and then time went on. And it's become very clear that this, is, this really is the actual overwhelming consensus of the majority of the psychological community. Um, and I've only ever heard that corroborated from people who have, who have, who have gone through it, who have tried it, or who, or who are part of the homosexual or, or gay community, male, female, gay, lesbian, everybody in the, in, in the larger, in that larger community, LGBTQ, whatever else, you know, however else they want to self-identify. I've never heard anybody, um, well, I shouldn't say I've never heard anybody, but, but in, I obviously, in my experience, I actually um, have heard a lot of, of um, people talking about the harmful effects that it had on either them or people that they knew. Um, so the therapy itself is a bad is 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 is, a, is proven to be a bad modality, right? And in general, I think that in in the psychological world, when a therapy proves itself to be a bad modality, it should not be practiced, right? It should be rejected by the by the larger by the by the community of psychologists. After that, I want to say something else about this this therapy. Um, another reason why it 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 blinks a red light at me, even if I didn't know, right, that they've done studies and proven it to be bad, as a therapist, I'm fundamentally uncom uncomfortable with the agenda that it proposes, right? The agenda it proposes is, you're going to come in, and we are going to get you to an end goal. And my job as the therapist here is to get you to that end goal, because, because that's not what a therapist who talks that way, to my mind, um, I, I, again, I don't ever want to say anything too broad. Let me just say that's not a therapist I would send my child to. Because therapy is fundamentally about helping a client clarify who they are, what their needs are, and how to best help them get to that place. Okay? That's what therapy really does. Um, yes, question. Wait, but here I'm, I asked you a case where a client, right, a person okay. comes to the therapist and says, this is the place I want to get to. Right. It's not like the rabbi pushed me. I want to be okay. in this place. Okay. So, so that's my question. Yes. Okay. So that's a great question. So to answer that question, here, here's how I would frame this for you. Sexual orientation, right? Fundamental sexual orientation um, is, I, I would say it's not a choice. It's part of people's identity. Now, again, I'm going to say that with the awareness that we're living in a world today where there's a lot of encouragement of gender fluidity and being curious about um, sexual, you know, all kinds of sexual behaviors. There's a lot of openness to sexual exploration. I'm aware of that. I will also say that sexuality is on a spectrum. There are people who are attracted only to members of the same sex. There are people who are attracted um, only to members of the opposite sex. There are people who are bisexual. Um, there really are people who fall on, on that spectrum in one place or the other. So that being said, though, right, um, <laughs> let, let, let me put it this way. An ortho <laughs> it's obvious to me that an Orthodox Jew who, who discovers that their sexual orientation is um, 
same sex, right, will not be happy with that if they if if they feel a connection to the Orthodox Jewish community. So it will not. Yeah. Okay, I want to. We're going to come back to you, but I want to turn to Johnny because Wait, he's been waiting patiently. Point, I, I really, I yeah, please, ask me please, please. I just want to finish the point. Therefore, yeah. And you said they were not going to be happy with that. It's obvious to me, right? So when somebody comes to me and says... Right, that, that situation, it is in of itself painful. It must be yes. trem- it's tremendously traumatic. Correct. Correct. Be- so but when somebody comes to me and says that, I need to explore that further, right? And I'm not saying, again, I need to figure out with them, wait, where are you? What do you really feel? What do you really want? What's going to be best for you, Right. But I can't just be like, all right, let's change your sexual orientation because that doesn't work. Um, and I, again, I can say I have empathy with your experience. What would you like to do? And again, where are you? No, no, you're missing me. You I want- already told you. The guy, the, the guy, the young man, the young woman already told you what they want. Yes. You but, did that. Yeah, but I want to and clarify. They said, I want to clarify. What is your sexual I, orientation? Are you really, you're only attracted to males? You're only, like, you're going to tell me they're only attracted Okay, so I'll give you the case where, no, I'm attracted to both. You're attracted to both? I, I would not have an objection to a therapist saying, if you're attracted to both genders and you're telling me that you would like to choose to live a married life with a member of the opposite sex, that is your choice. Let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about what that will mean for you. Will that work for you? That is completely legitimate. There is, and that, that's an important thing to understand. And then I would like you to engage in, in behavioral therapy that will enable me to make that choice and not follow through on, other, on, on another yeah, choice, um, which, which will ultimately be, be destructive to my family structure, right. to my religious beliefs, the, or whatever. The have evidence you. is that what behavioral therapy tries to do is to try to change innate sexual orientation. That, that, no, I didn't say that. We said not a change. Yeah, we said okay. a person who I'm has tendencies towards doing both. That, or, that, I think that's... Um, has been proven to be harmful and dangerous to the individual. Um, I, 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 can't, I can't... Wait, behavioral therapy in general? Behavioral therapy, no, for sexual orientation. Behavioral therapy to change sexual orientation has been proven to be harmful. Again, don't, you're missing... I'm saying not change sexual orientation. A person comes to you and says, I am bisexual. But because of my upbringing and my religious beliefs, not because right. of my beliefs, I believe that engaging in, in homosexual activity is against my religious belief. And therefore, I would like to undergo cognitive behavioral therapy in order to, or whatever behavioral therapy no, they were going to undergo. I see what I know. I don't know anything. That's therefore, to undergo, you. No, I, I, I'm asking you, therefore, to undergo whatever therapy it is, not behavioral, whatever therapy, in order to help me make the choices that I want to make. We c- I can help you make the choices that you want to make. I'm not going to do it by trying to um, create an aversion to an innate sexual desire that you have. That's that, right, but that's not the only method of psychology. So I can say, that, that right, what I'm saying is, so what are you, exactly are you asking me to do? Do you want to talk about how you're going to be, you're going to choose to focus on um, um, women, right? That's fine. We'll talk about that, right? Um, but it's not my job to make you into something. It's my job to help you um, make the choices that are going to work for you and that are going to be healthy in your life. That's- okay, I want to turn to Johnny. And, and ask from a halachic perspective. According to your understanding, you shared with me Chuvot, a Chuvot Professor Sperber, uh, who ruled pretty much uh, um, ex- explicitly, he felt that this kind of therapy is prohibited, is asur. So what I want to ask you is, well, uh, I guess we'll share it in the, in the, on the Facebook page if anybody wants it, 
uh, we can share that. I think it's pretty widely disseminated, I guess, because he shared it with me. Um, Johnny, is that something that's a consensus among rabbis that this therapy is prohibited? And if it is not, how does halakha look at this kind of, of, of uh, therapy and uh, the rabbis that are obviously advocating it? Okay, so uh, you've asked a very pointed question, but I do want to respond more broadly to some of the issues that you and Mali have uh, until now touched upon, uh, give both a sense of also my perspective. I come here not as a therapist, but as somebody who's had uh, an interest in and, and um, attempted to gain some meaningful level of understanding in this sugya. Uh, and let's begin actually about 20 years ago, where I think uh, it, that journey began. Uh, where unexpectedly, in fact, it wasn't part of my, uh, I, I, did, I, I was unaware of it until I saw it. I, I saw the documentary titled Trembling Before God. It came out in 2001, and I saw it, I think, in that year at a particular setting. Uh, and there's a particular scene that really, really resonated with me in that movie, which touches specifically on this issue. Uh, we're introduced to a person called David. He's from Los Angeles. And... Uh, he brought up modern Orthodox and uh, very much had a, a, a desire, or an, an inclination, uh, a natural uh, um, interest in wishing to have same-sex relationships. And, and when he was young, he went to see a rabbi who felt could give him good religious counsel. Um, and a rabbi, he had a really good relationship then. And truth be told, he uh, had a warm regard for him even at this point in time. And that rabbi basically uh, suggested that he undergo forms of aversion therapy uh, and gave him certain uh, professionals uh, to go to. And this guy, David, spent 12 years uh, trying to fulfill the expectations of the therapist going through, it, like Mali said, including having a rubber band on his arm, but many other things too. And it didn't work. But more than that, it broke him to a certain level. It didn't work because he, he's a very, very sincere person. And he did exactly as the religious guide said and spent 12 years on a regular basis seeking this counseling, uh, fulfilling the expect whatever was asked of him as parts of the, the aversion condition, which is often uh, used within um, conversion therapy. Now, 20 years later, he, he decided to go and see the same rabbi again. They hadn't seen each other for a while, but again, he had a, a, a good regard for him, and as did the rabbi to him. And there was something very, very beautiful about this moment where we saw two very sincere people who 20 years ago had met and wished to try and do what they thought was the right thing at the time, based also on 20 years back of how we saw the world and how they saw themselves. And, and he said to the rabbi, listen, you know, I came to you uh, and you gave me this advice and it, it didn't hurt and it and it it didn't help and it and it hurt me i found it I, I basically suffered through through the suggestions that you gave me i suffered through the kind of practices i was asked to perform based on your guidance uh, and and uh, encouragement uh, and the rabbi you know accepted that that was a bad outcome and and david then turned to the rabbi and i'm not, not mentioning his name for no particular reason it's it's known and and uh, and uh and i say there's something very very exquisite about this moment he said would you today suggest i go back to therapy because he's somebody who is uh, attempting to observe all the mitzvot 
and he's speaking here with a rabbi and he's seeking religious counsel. He's saying, would you suggest I do that? And initially the rabbi says, I don't know, because he feels torn between his allegiances, his allegiances of trying to do right by David and his allegiances wearing the rabbinic hat of trying to, in his mind, dissuade him and pull him away from what he views to be transgression. But after a few seconds, this is all captured on camera, he said, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't encourage you to go back to therapy. And David said, why? He said, because it's been such a terrible experience for you. It's been such a negative. I can see it's basically, it's, it's done so much harm to you. I wouldn't put you through that. And I, I think in that short uh, conversation, we see a lot both about the evolution of understandings of therapy and impacts of therapy. And I can now proceed to start answering your question. Because within halacha, it's important to note that people who may well be familiar with Jewish law aren't necessarily experts in all other fields. You know, you can be an expert in certain aspects of halacha, but you may not be an expert in medical treatments. And so you need to work in partnership with doctors. You may well be familiar with literature relating to war ethics, but you know, may not be an expert in uh, Middle East strategies. And the general understanding of, I would say, uh, thoughtful poskim across the board in all many realms is uh, rabbis need to work in partnership with medical experts. You know, uh, we're recording just before Tisha B'Av, and I grew up in a community where my rav would consult with doctors and work in partnership to give good advice because my rav didn't presume to be a doctor who understood every malady to some nuances of level to know every updated, uh, 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 you know, the implications of taking medicines and fasting. And they recognized they needed a second voice in terms of doing service to members of their community. What's happened, though, is we've, we, we've uh, come to find a clash in this, in this particular sugya. Why so? Because in, unlike the rabbi in Trembling Before God, which to say again, came out 20 years ago, who recognized that what he thought was religiously a good idea was medically or personally not a good idea. There are many religious leaders who, have, who, while in case of fasting, would respectively turn to the experts, or in case of, of other areas, would respectively turn to the experts. They've decided, I'm going to ignore the, uh, the expert opinions that Mali uh, uh, beautifully explained. And as she said, the majority of expert opinions tell us, not only does it not work, but this does a lot of harm. And so you really have two schools of thought within the rabbinic world. Some which are, are familiar with or sufficiently familiar with trends in research and trends in practice who say, listen, I see here perhaps a clash of values, but nevertheless, my task, my duty is to seek, consult experts and then consider how I can use this in giving guidance to people who turn to me for advice. And there are others who've chosen to ignore that completely, especially almost exclusively in this area. Uh, and, and consequently give bad advice. And, and just say one more thing, and then uh, I'll wrap up. And so two more things in order to respond to your question. So part and parcel of this, by the way, is relates to rabbinic training. You know, how do we train rabbis? Do we, we make them understand that if you, if you recognize you need to see experts in fasting, you also need to seek experts in other aspects of the kind of counsel you do, and also know the limitations of counsel you can give. Um, and now returning to your question, we, we actually, we, we looked at a whole range of different responses, both to this and wider issues. Uh, amongst this was, was a response of Daniel Sperber to a question sent to him. And he makes a, a halakhic argument. He actually is very, very clear what he's not talking about. But his argument about conversion therapy is, 
it does harm, it does severe harm, at times it's always a form of torture. And that means, as a rabbi, I can't consciously give license to something which I think halachically is a sort. And, and so he makes it clear, in his opinion, based on the research, and based on his understanding, and based purely on this question of, is conversion therapy in sync with the halachic process? He says, I, no. Now, I haven't done this level of research that he's done, but it's important to recognize that what he's simply doing is trying to take the world of research, bring it to the world of halakha, and respond to that particular question without a whole variety of other noises and necessarily other biases necessarily coming in. Well, Johnny, I'm going to so push back. I have to push back because essentially what you said is the rabbis that reject the prohibition of conversion therapy are rabbis that do not accept or are not willing to know the latest research and are rabbis that are not um, uh, able to or willing to consult with the, 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 the reigning medical experts or the reigning psychological experts to know what the true research is teaching us. Now, I will tell you, first and foremost, I, I find that troubling that you would say that. And second of all, I know it not to be true. Because I, the rabbis that I know that, that at least are in, against this kind of ban and definitely don't think it's asur, these are rabbis that are very comfortable consulting with doctors and are very well aware of the medical research and, and, and are very involved in all kinds of decisions, whether it comes to fasting or therapy or things like that. So to, to imply that there's a level of, I would say, primitiveness to these rabbis and they just have to really you know, get with the program, which is essentially what you're saying, I reject that. So I would ask you, so, so I would ask you the other way. I would, let I would me finish my question. Word, so I would, I would never use the word primitive, and I think the, the way... You, you, you imply the that they're word. not willing to consult with the leading experts or, or accept the latest research. No, I, I, and I they are in clear. every other area, because I know them. Right, uh, right, I made it very, very clear, precisely. Let's be, so be, no, so I let me finish my say. question. So why in this area are rabbis who are completely scientifically aware and have read all the research that you read not willing to accept the scientific research in this area? Firstly, <laughs> listen, you've asked three or four questions. No, no that's, that's so, the question. Yeah, that was the no, question I was getting I, to. I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm saying within your question are three or four questions. Let's, let's firstly reject that word primitive. I'm not trying to insult people. I'm trying to, you're asking me how I see the landscape. And I'm saying I see the landscape as being one which is divided between people who in the area of conversion therapy uh, to pay heed to the majority of voices coming out from research over the last 20 to 30 years, and people who pay less heed. Like you can, we can argue about that, but I think that's, that's the landscape. As right, I but these it. same rabbis, these same rabbis, when it comes to COVID-19, they, they, they know the research that was, came out yesterday. So it's not like they don't know the research. They, they, they right. don't accept it. Why not? I'm not here to speak for no. other people. I want to be very You're an analyst of halachic uh, development. That's exactly what you are. And that may well be, but I'm not an analyst for other people's voices who, whom I'm not giving a platform to hear their thoughts. You're saying, you know, why am I attacking them? Firstly, I'm not attacking. I'm just looking at the landscape and I'm suggesting this is how people think. If you're asking me why I think that may be the case, uh, I actually think it comes down, it, it, it comes from actually a deep desire to, in their eyes, uh, spiritually fix people, meaning I, I want to make it clear, and I, I go back to that scene in, in uh, Trembling Before God. I, I found it beautiful because 
both David and the rabbi come off as profoundly sincere people who are trying to fulfill their task, but there was a clash, right? And I, and I found it humbling that the rabbi was prepared to say after 20 years, I, I understand that what I was saying, notwithstanding my positive intentions, did you harm? I, and and, and he, he acknowledged that. I think there are people today, a bit like that rabbi, but 20 years ago, who, who come with uh, good intentions, uh, perhaps, uh, who may well be, in their minds, quite informed, and they're trying to, in inverted commas, save people, help people, change people, and they've heard about some therapies. They're not experts, because most rabbis are not experts. There may be a handful, and I'd love to hear their voices. But let's not forget, just a year ago, and I just want to mention this because I think it's part of the religious Zionist conversation and also part of the uh, background of some of these conversations uh, uh, here in Israel. You know, just a year ago, uh, Rabbi Rafi Peretz, who at that time was um, the uh, education minister, he made a statement in an interview talking specifically about conversion therapy. And I want to quote his words. He said, I think it's possible. I can tell you I have a very deep familiarity with this kind of education, and I've also done this. Um, and an, a number of people, uh, both professionals and other rabbis, by the way, said, whoa, one second. You know, uh, wait, what, wait, wait. You are totally mischaracterizing what happened to Rabbi Rafi Peretz after that happened. Well, Let's I mean, be honest about what I, happened to I Rafi Peretz. I haven't mentioned anything. I'm saying I, all I've done so far. None of rabbis said, whoa, but what happened to Rafi Peretz when he said that? You, I can, I can tell you what I think. Uh, you tell me what you think. He was, he was completely destroyed in the political and 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 media sphere. Becoming became the whipping boy of all media and the representative of everything bad about religion for at least a week until he was forced to retract and said I didn't really mean it, which which didn't change his mind in any way whatsoever, but but forced people him to silence himself and anyone like him. And that's what I want to talk about. No, that's, that's a wider question of shaming culture and cancel culture. Let's be perfectly clear. He was excoriated. Um, and, and perhaps he, you know, one, some, sometimes when you're public eye, there are certain things, even if you may believe you are a little bit right, you need to think a little bit more about the platform that, and the hat you're wearing and, and the position you're holding. Let's, let's be perfectly honest about that. But, that's, but the reason I mentioned that isn't specifically about him. It's specifically about the fact that, as I say, how I see the landscape as people who there are either those who look at the research and reach a conclusion, a bit like uh, Rav Blau, who basically said, this is how I see things. I see this as doing harm. And consequently, whether or not you bring in the legalities and the criminalities, that's a whole different matter, as Mali said. Nevertheless, I don't think that's something that a rabbi should uh, recommend, and certainly not as quickly as many do. And you have other sides of the occasion. Just a year ago, somebody who represents, or, or certainly view, viewed as representing, a serious voice in religious Zionism, saying proudly, this is something I do, and I believe works, and it's a good thing. So that's, that's the world as we know it today. I mean... Okay, I, I want to thank you. I, I, if I attacked you, I apologize. Um, every no, no, man... No, 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 no. I just... I, don't, I, I, I certainly didn't try to, you know, demean anybody. I think we have to separate between intentions... And, and be so I want to come back. And, and, so uh, I want well, to answer my question. The reason, what I think the answer is, and then use it as a way of springboard to turn back to Molly and ask her and ask her a, a question in this area. I think that rabbis and religious people here they don't turn to the science, even when perhaps they should, because there's a fundamental distrust of the science. Meaning, you look 
if you look at 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 uh, at the the science as it is, uh, and I'm I'm saying it the way I see it. If you look at the science regarding, uh, I'm not regarding conversion therapy, because I think we have to we have to divide it's between that and the science regarding homosexuality. There has been, as uh, just to quote what Johnny said, a, a, a sense of cancel culture and 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 quieting and the, the negating of any opinion that does not fully embrace uh, you know, gender identity and homosexuality and all of those things. And you've seen, I have seen, such a rapid change in the science. You know, it's one thing to say that it was, yes, it was considered, homosexuality was considered a pathology and the change in the 1970s. But it is, it is, that has been so shifted and erased and like they proudly show in the journals that oh in 2010 we you know we, we erased all last assemblages of this uh, of this primitive attitude or of this terrible attitude that we used to have that's 10 years ago science doesn't change that quickly and when you see science changing that quickly so a religious person will come along and say whoa 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 one second this isn't like you know we always knew smoking was bad and you know and the, and the smoking companies you know promoted crazy studies there's something going on here it's not just science it's a mixture of science, but there's politics, there's agenda. And so therefore, they're going to come along and say, yes, uh, I mean, you quote me science, but all, I don't trust this science. You know, I trust when the doctors talk about COVID because they're showing me numbers. Here, science is very much mixed with the political agenda. And how do I know that? Because when else do they have laws in the Knesset about what, I don't know, what, do they have laws in the Knesset about like foot therapies that don't work? No, you know, the foot people get together and they figure out what works and what they don't work. You don't have to have laws in the Knesset. So why are we having laws about that? So Molly, can you, can you talk to this? I have a sense, I'm me, I'm talking to Ruben here. I have a sense of distrust about science, when people talk in the name of science, when there's clearly social, political agendas connected to it, and it makes it difficult for people and leading people, like Arav Rafi Peretz, to then come along and say, oh, you, you know, all of your studies, like how many of your studies are biased based upon your, your, your political leanings or your social leanings? You know, there is no ability, even if somebody were to do a double-blind study and theoretically prove that conversion therapy works, he could never publish it. Nobody in their right mind would publish such a thing. Nobody would ever mention it because they'd be canceled and they would never have a job ever again. So how in the world are we supposed to trust science that shouts down any dissenting opinion? Molly. Okay, so first of all, I just want to say I, I concur with uh, Johnny's recommendation of Trump before God. I think everybody should see it. And when I get to the end of my point referring to, you'll understand why. Um, I also want to wholeheartedly agree with Johnny that rabbis, it's very, very important that rabbis understand where their mandate ends, where professionalism begins when it comes to mental health issues, not only when it comes to homosexuality, but it's also true when it comes to domestic violence, when it comes to abuse, when it comes to um, um, sexual abuse of children, of minors, of, of, of issues of misira. There are a lot of issues in which rabbis need to work in collaboration with mental health professionals, and I think more needs to be done to make sure that, that more rabbis become aware of this. Um, you you said, no, but they are, no, but they do. I, and, and what I'm going to tell you is that I, I don't think it's as true when it, like, yes, it's true. The rabbis in America have all been calling their epidemiologists to get informed about corona, right? But when it comes to homosexuality and um, their, their positions, it's not 100% true. You asked why, right? So you, you 
I gave a hypothesis. Why? I would love you to comment about right. that. Johnny gave his hypothesis. I want to. I want to add one more piece. I agree very much with Johnny's hypothesis. I believe for many people it comes from place of sincerely wanting to help people, and they hear these people's pain, and as you said, often the person will come and say, "This is what I want," right? And so they sincerely believe that okay, well then there, here's a path that's going to square a circle, right? That's unsquareable in any other way. And again, that's why I think people should watch from them before, before God, because one of the most powerful messages that come out of that is you have people here who desperately want to be Orthodox, right? But are, again, their, their, their sexual orientation is homosexual. And that is, it, it puts them in an almost impossible position. And so a Rav comes to them and a Rav believes, well, if I can, if I can solve your problem, why wouldn't I do that, right? And so I think that's very much a part of it. Uh, but I do think there's another piece here. I think also for rabbis, it's very, I think, I'm going to say this with humility because this is a, a hypothesis, the way you had your hypothesis. This is a hypothesis. I, I, and it, it, But it's a hypothesis based on interactions with, with rabbis on these issues, which I've had um, when I was involved in two events in our community where we organized evenings about homosexuality, um, interacted with numerous rabbis, and different rabbis had different positions. And I've definitely encountered this position, that the more, if you're a rabbinic personality and you are a deeply religious rabbinic personality, somewhere in you, it's very hard for you to accept that we have here a situation in which halacha, and, and I think for many rabbis, it's not just the pure halacha on the page, but a, a worldview that comes forth through halacha, which is um, that heterosexual um, uh, right? heterosexual relationships are the preferred um, Jewish values lifestyle, it is very hard for them to accept that it could really be true that there are human beings who are just not attracted to members of the same sex. And, I, I, and this I'm going to even say, I don't think it was in Trembling Before God, but I, 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 somebody... I went to a training, this is again 10 plus years ago, which I'm not going to say anything about it, but it, it, it was a training. Except what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll say a little bit, but I don't want to say much more. Unfortunately, this, the person who did this changed their mind, but at the time they were more, they were talking about how you can shift the same sex attraction. In the context of it, um, they had a video of a prominent you would fall off your chair if you knew who this person was, and I'm sure this person would not say this anymore. But this is 10 plus years ago, and this, this leader in the rabbinic, um, the, the religious Zionist community, very prominent leader in the rabbinic Zionist community, um, the religious Zionist community, said, I do not believe that God would put a nitiyah inside a human being and then tell them that they can't, um, that they can't act upon it. I can't believe the Torah would be that cruel. And therefore, their maskana was, it must be that this is not a nitiyah that can't be changed. I, I, I'm I would say, I would say, why would God prohibit it if it wasn't a nitiyah? Okay. I'm just telling you, that's what the man <laughs> it's said. It's and therefore, he said, it must be that we can, we can change people. Because I, don't, I cannot believe that. Right? I just cannot believe that God would do such a horrible thing to people. I, I really almost fell off my chair. And if you knew who I was, you'd almost fall off your chair. It's a, this is a good guy. This is a good guy. But 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 he that's what the, that's his religious worldview was so um, passionate, and that's not a bad thing, right? But I think that's another possibility as to why um, why it's difficult for rabbis to to um, 
to be resistant to the message, this thing, this, this is just really, it doesn't work or it's, it's damaging. The other thing I have to say is that the problem is that, there, that, that at least in Israel, I don't know what's going on in America today, but, but th th there's a problem also in Israel when it comes to um, therapies, and I'm using, you can't see this on the, on the podcast, but I'm using air quotes. In Israel, anybody can do any type of a training, hang out a shingle, and call themselves, you know, call it tipul, right? You don't need an MSW, you don't need a, um, a master's in psychology, you, you can just call yourself an expert in um, nitiot, miniot, right? You can have done a course with who knows who, right? And you can hang out a shingle, okay? So what this means is there are a lot of people out there, okay? And, and the truth is, to be honest, I don't know everybody's credentials. Some of them may even have formal, re <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean by real, but like I would say, let's say formal educational degrees in, 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 a, psycho in a psychological area who are still supportive of this type of therapy. And what happened, what they t tend to do um, is that, so then the, 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 you know, the, the theory comes that they say reparative therapy doesn't work. So they'll say, no, 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 I'm not doing reparative therapy. And they'll recouch it in the language, I'm just helping people who tell me that they want to be the other way, right? And so there are professionals, and again, I'm using air quotes um, because that's my personal opinion. Um, I, 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 who, who will do reparative or, 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 or these types of therapy, who will say that, they, you know, they're, that, that they're pro doing it. And so rabbis can kind of attach themselves to them and say, see, this professional thinks it's okay. So what's wrong with that, right? And so they have, because that exists, they have amal smoch. Now, I'm not going to deny to you that I think that you're raising a real issue, right? There is a real issue, the distrust of the science issue. Right? I don't think it's true where to, when it comes to homosexuality. When you described it as, oh, well, 10 years ago, I think that when it comes to um, the hard science on homosexuality, the, 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 the people are really in the right place. But I do think um, that there's a large, there is, you're not wrong to be wary of the interplay between politics and science. You're not wrong to be wary of the fear that um, people may, that, that there, and it might even, um, um, I don't want to use the word infect because that's a very derogatory term, but it might even affect, right? It might even affect people's um, um, ability to practice psychology or, or, or therapy the way they would want to. Um, and I don't want to go into details of examples of that, but you're right that that's a real issue today. It is. We, we are seeing a, a um, conflation of... Um, Meaning, there's always been a certain degree of conflation. This is, this is, we, I, we spoke about this a little bit yesterday, right? Where, like, there, let's put it this way. There's always been changes within psychology. Psychology is, is it's true probably of all, of all sciences, hard sciences as well as psychology, which I don't know if you'd call it a hard science or a soft science. Now there's more hard science. We're moving more towards evidence-based practice. But the point is, there's, there's always been mistakes, right? There's always been corrections. There have always been things that people thought were the right way to treat something. Um, and, and that has changed, right? We, we know that's true in a lot of areas. That's true, uh, again, with autistic children or, or, or people. It's true of, of, of what psychologists used to tell people about developmentally disabled people. The best thing you can do is put them in a home and have no contact with them. Um, there, there are a lot of areas in which the science has changed, 
right? That's true. And I do think that you're right, that today's world, it's gotten worse. I think there is a, a greater distrust of social movements affecting um, areas that, that should be more, again, I'd say evidence-based. And that's a fair concern. And the only way to, um, to override that concern is, as I said before, um, uh, I'll again go back to Rebelau's words, educate the Orthodox community that this particular therapy is dangerous to, he specifically talks about the youth, because it's usually that's when it comes up, right? And, and, and that's, you know, Johnny said, well, what if it's a person, or maybe you said, what if it's an adult? But it, 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 youth are, it's, it's much more dangerous to do this to youth, right? Mm. So this therapy will solve their internal conflicts. Now, how do you do that, right? So as of now, we've been saying, well, the science and the studies and the professionals, and I think that there's a lot of room for that, right? And, and it's very important to do that. But I think another thing that I have found personally is that the best way to, um, to help people really understand the experience of, um, of, of gay people is to hear their stories and to have them talk, right? So, so I, I, I really do believe that, which is why I think Trembling Before God is such an effective movie. And it's why when, when we do evenings on these issues and people say, thank you so much, right? Um, and Ruby, I, I very much respect the place you're coming from, right? You're coming from a place of a serious, concerned, orthodox person who really wants to understand. And, and the chashashot you have, the concerns you have are real because how do you know, right? And, and, and why should I trust it? And I feel like when people hear people telling their stories and, and they, they hear firsthand people's experiences, what this is like, that's usually the most effective way for people to understand what, what's really going on, what we're dealing with. Um, and, and that's much more convincing to them. And so that's what I found, right? Bring, bring people to, forward to tell their stories. Listen to people's stories. That's going to, to me, I think that's the best way to educate on this issue. Of course, at the same time, also bringing professionals to speak. Okay, I, I just want to, I want to express sort of where I'm coming from. And I think without a doubt, I think there's a percentage of people, I, I you know, obviously it's not for me to decide, but there's a, there's a percentage of people that are born innately homosexual and, and to try to change those people or to try to engage in therapy or to convince them, I think is immoral and I think it's inappropriate. I don't know if it's just legal. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the best way to handle it, but I, I, obviously I would agree with Rabbi Blau in that case. But I think then that in the, in the climate and the world in which we live, there is a, what you call like, I don't know what, you, what I would call a soft middle, that there's a group of people who either are experimenting or unsure and for those pe and for those people, so the the question is: Does the do the values that the Torah promotes? Do they hold sway? Are they important? And, and do we take them as critical factors when we come to making uh, policy choices and decisions about how we address those cases? So the in in my perspective as a religious person, the way I see it, the 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 activist movement would come along and say, "How dare you try to influence anyone as to the choices that they make?" This is a personal, you know, they are what they are, and, and what right do you have to make any value judgments? Whereas I, as a religious person, and forget I'm a rabbi or not a rabbi, seeing the values that the Torah promotes and the behaviors that the Torah prohibits would say that it's a primary value for that group of people that, that we do our best to help those people make 
religiously valuable choices. Make the choices that God asks them to make. And there are significant consequences if, they, if they're not able or encouraged to make other choices. So, so my fear isn't the concern for the people who are born in that way, who are born homosexual, who, who are created in that way, and, who, and have to address that and find a way to live a religious life in that structure. But my fear is, the, and I think that's a small, I'm convinced that's a much smaller percentage than, than people, than the statistics are being thrown out, but it definitely exists. But I'm, I'm much more concerned about the values that are being promoted. And I'm not, am I even allowed to say this? Like, are you allowed to say that and speak about that and promote the idea that a person who can make the choice to live uh, 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 with the, the lifestyle and make the sexual choices that the Torah, uh, or not make the, the sexual choices that the Torah prohibits, should obviously be encouraged to, not to make those choices and should be helped not to make those choices. And my fear is that in the climate in which we live today, I'm not allowed to say what I just said. And a doctor wouldn't be allowed to help a person or a rabbi wouldn't be allowed to counsel a person to, to make those choices. Johnny, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the, the, I, I, the concern I, that I'm trying to address? I, I, I fully share your concerns. The truth is, I, I mean, all of us are coming from slightly different perspectives, but we actually share a very similar uh, space in terms of both the kind of interactions we have, the kind of sentiments we share, the kind of feelings we have and the kind of tensions we see in, in this, uh, in the world whereby there are a lot of uh, convictions that we hold dear that if shared publicly uh, can easily be, or, uh, no, or are frequently rubbished, often cancelled, um, and you sometimes have to think three, four, five times whether you can say something which you thought were to be not in the slightest bit controversial, but the world seems to be looking at things in a very, very different way. Um, and, and our task as religious people is to be countercultural, right? You know, Avama Ivri, to go against the flow and sometimes say, hold on a second, we have a different view of things. Nevertheless, uh, that, that needs to also be an informed position rather than a blind one. You know, we often, especially in the modern Orthodox world, there is a, often a, a regard that we don't believe in blind faith. We believe in, uh, you know, and looking at God through, through a philosophical lens, we believe in thought. And I believe here too, halakha requires us to be thoughtful in how we approach this particular issue. I also want to be very, very clear though. While we've touched on a range of issues, a specific conversation here relates to conversion therapy. You know, there have been lots of other peripheral remarks about inclusion uh, and attitudes, policies, and psakim relating to, uh, to homosexuals in the community. That's deserving of a whole different conversation. Each of us not just have opinions, but have experience and have strong feelings uh, in, in that matter. But for those who are listening, though we've touched on those things, that's not been the, the topic conversation. It's specifically been that of conversion therapy. But yeah, we need to be thoughtful. Uh, and thoughtful requires not just thinking about whether we believe we're right, but whether our, our opinion is necessarily supported by basically many decades now of research in that specific area. But let's, I'll, I'll end at least in terms of my contribution with the notion of Chochmah, here with respect to conversion therapy. A person may well say, I'm trying to help this person now. And I may well say, I get that. But you need to know that two, three, four, five, twelve, as I said in the case of David, 20 years time, this can cause tremendous harm. Tremendous harm also to the people that they marry, but in the end realize that they're 
incompatible with tremendous harm to broken homes. And I've seen that personally on more than uh, a number of occasions. And so that Chochmah requires us to see a little bit into the future and say, notwithstanding your good intentions now, know that may well be that what you're suggesting can leave uh, a, a significant level of damage in the lives of many people. Uh, Molly, I want to conclude by asking you, do, have you looked at the law itself and what it was supposed to outlaw? And, um, and like, as you mentioned, the question I then have is, okay, I accept all of what you said vis-a-vis -vis conversion therapy and it's harmful and it shouldn't be done. But like, if anybody can hang out a shingle, if Joe Schmo can hang out a shingle and he's not following any requirements, he's not going to get kicked out of any associations, and he's just going to say, yeah, well, we were talking and whatever. So how do you enforce a law like that even? How, how, who is it for and how is it even enforceable? Yes, I didn't, I didn't look at the actual law, but I did read some articles on it, and it does seem to be that's a kind of a hole there, which is that the people who are being prohibited from doing conversion therapy are psychologists <laughs> about rabbis. So, like, that doesn't seem to me to be super effective because that seems like you're just going to push more people into um, the arms of people who are not trained appropriately. So that, I think, is a problem. Um, I, happen to, I happen to think this whole thing is a political stunt anyway. And it's so only that the would first be extremely unfortunate. Uh, by the yeah. way, I, I do want to say one thing about the thing that you said before, which is um, one Rav, when he was speaking about this issue, said something that, that I remember very, very much. I'm just going to quote him. He said... He would like to see more anava when it comes to this issue. He would like to see more rabbis um, willing to like put aside their preconceived notions and their thoughts and listen and to really listen to the um, again LGBT plus LGBTQ plus community and really hear and understand. No, I'm really just trying to be as inclusive as I possibly can. Uh, he's laughing, but that's I'm, I'm being sensitive and respectful. Um, at the same time, that doesn't mean, and I thought this was an interesting point he made, that doesn't mean that um, as a rabbi, you are not allowed to have positions about um, social issues and religious values. Um, again, I want to emphasize, as a therapist, right, my job is to help the person. Right. And, and, and so I don't think that I could I don't think as a therapist I could say my goal is to try to get you to live out religious values because they're important to me. I know that I can't say that, actually. It's not just that I think that I can't say that. I cannot say that as a therapist. As a therapist, I can say, what are your religious values and how do you want to live them out? But at the same time, no, oh, I won't say but I'll say at the same time, a, a, any rabbi or educator has every right, I think, to speak out on larger issues of social, uh, a social policy and talk about things that concern them in the larger social sphere. Um, so, again, I don't want to go too deeply into it, but one of the most fascinating parts of the evening that we had was um, a conversation about gay pride parades, right, where people said, would, would say to, to, let's say, this orthodox homosexual who was explaining his lifestyle and his choices, um, you know, would you be able to live the way you're living? This guy is married to a man, they have children, um, but would you draw the line, let's say, at going to a parade because that gives a certain social message, right? And there was a very interesting conversation about can you make that distinction? And if you would, and if you wouldn't, and why he would go to the parade, or why yes, or why not? Um, and, and he talked about 
you know, different communities, the culture of Tel Aviv versus the culture of Jerusalem. And there's room for that. And I think there should be room for dialogue around social policy. Um, I'm not going to take a stand, but I'm, I'm going to say that I, I don't think anybody should be censored when it comes to larger so social policy. But I do think that before you make statements like that, he, again, start with Anava. First, talk to some people. First, find some people who are, who are living this and who, have, who are struggling with this. Talk to them. And then, and, and, and then uh, there's nothing wrong with having a complex view of larger social phenomenon. All right, I want to think we're going to leave it here. I want to thank uh, Rev. Johnny Solomon for his wise uh, counsel, as always. I want to thank Molly Brodsky for uh, um, agreeing to topic to talk about this. It's a, it's a complicated and, and very sensitive discussion, and uh, I hope we've done it justice. And I hope you feel good about the conversation. And if not, um, you'll let me know. Um, I also, uh, um, if you all have comments or questions or want to respond to us, we're pretty much available on Facebook. People have been uh, posting to us and we've been responding and we appreciate that very much. If you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor and write, uh, not, not just rate us, but if you could just write a review about how incredible we are on the uh, iTunes uh, store. We very much appreciate it on the, on the Apple, whatever it's called. Apple, I think it's iTunes, isn't it? Or Apple Podcast, whatever it's called. Uh, and let more people, that helps more people discover the amazing RZ Weekly Podcast. I want to thank my son, Petach Espolta, for our music. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week.